Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Once again, the most requested, called into, and people seeking information about animal welfare who glom on to this one hour. Uh, every uh, 10 to 11 Sunday night, which will soon be rolled out into national syndication by John and Margot Katsimatidis, our parent company, Red Apple Media, and uh, our president, uh, Chad Lopez. Due to the uh, solid work of uh, Nancy, my wife, an animal rescuer, she's been this way since she uh, was a little child in uh, Bohemia in Suffolk County, so I want to applaud you, uh, Nancy, for all your hard work, because it's now going to be heard across the nation. Thank you so much for the great introduction, and uh, great to be on again with everybody. Uh, well, first uh, story up is a sad story. Anybody who's ever been to Thailand know that they cherish the elephant. The elephants are considered sacred They have elephants who actually paint pictures, elephants who are revered, elephants, uh, they know elephants need to roam, that they pack uh, together, that they socialize together. And then you go to other countries in the world, and many of them, they decide, well, we're going to put them in an isolated uh, container in a zoo, keep them by themselves, and the poor elephants become so depressed. We had another case, and I believe I actually saw this elephant, Nancy, when I started the Guardian Angels in the Philippines when I went to Manila years ago. It's called Mali, and it's now been dubbed the world's saddest elephant who has died there in Manila. Can you tell us the background and the circumstances of this tragedy? Yeah, so... Um, uh, this elephant, Molly, was uh, only 11 months old when she was gifted uh, by the Sri Lankan government. And then that's when she went to live in this, uh, you know, in the zoo. Uh, the only problem is that she has been living, um, you know, by herself for decades. So there's been, uh, you know, tremendous efforts trying to uh, free her, you know, bring her to varieties of different sanctuaries. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, that's been opposed very aggressively. And sadly, uh, at the age of, uh, I mean, I think it's like they said roughly in the 60s, this uh, the other day, uh, you know, unfortunately, the 
the elephant was showing signs of distress and wound up laying on its side and then just didn't get back up. So, you know, in spite of the fact that, you know, there was a big movement by animal rights um, activists and, you know, a lot of concerned people to try and move this elephant, you know, sadly before that happened, uh, this elephant has has perished. So, you know, I mean, obviously that's extremely unfortunate, but what's even more disturbing now is this same exact zoo is now saying that they, they want a replacement elephant because this elephant has, has passed away. So they're trying to now get in their possession another elephant to take the place of this horribly treated elephant. So um, just, I mean, really sad story all around. And even the Filipinos themselves were reporting that when they would bring their children to the zoo to look at Molly, she was depressed, you know, eyes down, you know, mentally you could see uh, abused. And even though there were people who were willing to pay to transport Molly to a reserve for animals so that she could frolic with other elephants because they they socialized, they packed together, they herd together, the zoo insisted, no, a thousand times no. It's like keeping that elephant in solitary confinement in its entire life, not letting him even be with any other elephants to be at all. Uh, socializing with anyone. It's like torture. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, uh, to your point, like there was a, a period of a few years where uh, Molly was paired up with another elephant who passed away in 1990. So following that, um, you know, this elephant was living in isolation. And when you when you saw pictures of it, like you said, it's, it was a very depressing scene. I mean, you could look at the physical, um, you know, shape of this elephant, and it was very depressing. I mean, it, it was like, you know, very clear that this was a, a not well animal, but, you know, unfortunately, because it's in the possession of a, a zoo, and the zoo makes money because this is an attraction, that's the problem. It's like they weren't willing to relinquish it because they could make money off of it. So, I mean, that, there, therein lies a problem. And it brings us to our own Bronx Zoo where Happy has been imprisoned in solitary confinement for years. Happy is so depressed. Happy is not a happy elephant at all, a pachydermy. Happy bangs its head on the wall. Now, we see human beings who do that, and they have to go for mental health care, and they put a helmet on them. They put a football helmet on them because they they knock their heads into the wall. Well, again... Animal rescuers came together. They said, how much? We'll buy the elephant from you. You know, we'll reimburse you for whatever the costs have been. No, a thousand times no. Happy will stay here until happy dies. They said, we have this great ranch in Texas. We have other elephants. They can herd together. They can frolic. She can spend the rest of her life there happy. No. What do you think it is in these people where they (laughs) insist on having the elephants quarantine basically in like a little cell in which they have no other elephants to communicate with. Well, I mean, sadly at this point, I think you're dealing with unfortunately a lot of egos and people who aren't really looking out for the best interest of uh, the animals that they're supposed to be uh, caretaking for. So in this situation, obviously Happy's gotten so much attention that I'm sure any sanctuary, any group that would receive Happy and then be caring for Happy would probably use that as, you know, rightfully so, you know, um, 
a, a way to promote their own efforts and what they're doing and potentially fundraise. And then I'm sure that that would be the reason why they wouldn't want to relinquish happy because, oh, you're going to be making money that we can make. I think it really comes down to something as simple as that. Now, you know, uh, Frank Morano does these great vignettes, two-minute vignettes, uh, things that most people don't know. And he talked about how uh, Thomas Edison uh, wanted to show everybody why AC as a current was better than DC, which was being uh, promoted by Tesla, the Serbian. And in order to show them how AC works, he used an elephant. And he basically created an electric chair with alternating current and fried the elephant. And I know you and I, we talked about this. We actually saw the film of that. Yeah, it was actually quite disturbing, um, you know, just to see uh, an elephant dropping from this electricity going through its its body. And, I mean, you know, I, I guess at the time it was hailed as, you know, what, what a great scientific demonstration. <laughs> but, I mean, looking at it from, you know, an animal perspective, it's mortifying to see. Yeah, we've spent a lot of time talking about whales, uh, the largest mammals uh, on Earth. But the elephants are right up there with them. And it just seems to me that if the animal is not prospering in a zoo, if they don't have space, if they're not permitted to be with other elephants and others want to come and take them to a preserve, wherever it may be, let them do that. Let them do that. Anyway. yeah, no, go ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I mean, again, it's a little bit of that element of the changing model of how people, you know, sort of interact with animals. I mean, I think there was a time when it was seen as, oh, well, the only way you're ever going to see one is if we capture them and hold them prisoner forever. But, you know, there's so many ways for people to see animals now, you know, really directly in their own habitat and then even see them online. So, you know, I think there's elements of, you know, people not wanting to, you know, visit them in sort of this imprisoned nature. Yeah, look, he's looking at me. The uh, the elephant sound. Hey, you see, pay attention here, man, please. I don't know who you talk to in that studio here. No, 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 my, these guys. It's like special ed for board operators. Anyway, our number's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This will soon be a nationally syndicated show across the nation, this Animal Welfare Hour. And one of the things that uh, we've talked about from time to time, Nancy, is that you can now hear WABC all over the world when it's dusk. You have the app. You have the streaming audio. I know that's the method you use to listen to WABC wherever you go and so many of our listeners. The only place in the world you can hear it at this point is Antarctica where the penguins and the walruses are. One day, they too will be able to listen to WABC. (laughs) But I was reading this fascinating article about penguins. Did they take thousands of naps every day? I mean, I know gold bricks and slackers around here who do that, and they're not penguins. Yeah, so this was sort of like an interesting study that was done on uh, the sleep patterns of penguins. So apparently they're, um, you know, like, superb at doing what's called fragmented sleeping. So each day um, they take thousands of naps that last a few seconds. So, you know, when you, when you compare it to, for instance, you know, people, obviously we sleep a, a third of our life and it's a very contained sort of methodology, but, um, you know, they're constantly doing little micro naps. 
And apparently that's how they function, you know, um, most optimally, just to sleep little seconds at a time. So, I mean, that's a very, you know, intriguing element of their, their sleep patterns. So basically these penguins, within the course of a day, whether it's Antarctica or anywhere else, they are taking like little cat naps every day? Well, exactly, right? So they're taking, they're taking cat naps, but, you know, so again, like comparing it to something like, for instance, brown bats, they sleep for 20 hours a day. And then giraffes, I didn't, I didn't even know, they only sleep two hours a day. So, but again, that's a contained sleep where for those, that amount of time they're sleeping, this is different than this. You know, again, it's like sort of surmising that potentially it's because, you know, they're at threat and there are predators. So, you know, they always have to be alert and ready for action. But again, as comparing it to people, if people were to try to do this same type of thing, it would be impossible because it's considered dangerous for human beings to do these small little naps. So, yeah, I mean, very, yeah, very different. Now, you mentioned the giraffe sleeping two hours. Two hours. Within 24 hours. First off, does a giraffe sleep, as far as you know, standing up or laying down? It's got to be standing up. We got to research that because, boy, my new role model in life is a giraffe. <laughs> I only want to sleep two hours a day. I want to be just like a giraffe. Yeah, no, and I imagine it's got to be tough to get back up, so they have to sleep standing up. Yeah, but <laughs> I, it's like a horse. I always wondered how do horses sleep until I actually saw a horse plop themselves down in the hay and sleep. But how does a giraffe, a giraffe only sleeps two hours a day? You mentioned the bats sleep 20 hours a day. The cats sleep most of the day, our cats and other cats, whether they're outdoor cats or indoor cats. They're taking cat naps like nonstop. But two hours a day, that is incredible. Yeah, I mean, and again, it's it's about also like how the, the body itself operates. So uh, there's a lot of animals that have such a um, like sort of in-tune metabolism where it doesn't require that much energy for them to live their lives. So they can operate with such a little sleep because, again, like, I mean, really, what is the difference between the, the sleep and the awake state for them? I mean, not too much if they're, they're masters of their metabolism. Oh, man, I want to learn from the giraffes. <laughs> I really want to just limit myself to two hours of sleep a day. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. If anybody out there knows, when the giraffe does sleep two hours a day, is it standing up? Or is it laying down like a horse? 1-800-848-9222. And then there's a great story here about a lost dog who survived alone in Colorado's mountains for two months. Could you give us the details? Okay, so this was a a 14-month-old Burmese mountain dog. Uh, It was apparently it was a service dog uh, that had broken loose from its, um, you know, uh, leash uh, in a parking lot, which was near the mountains. This is in Colorado, and it survived for two months. Now, this is like in uh, you know freezing temperatures. There was snowstorms uh, that had happened, and uh, apparently during this time, uh, the dog had also broken its leg. But two months later, um, there was a, a couple who was hiking on the trail, and they saw the dog. Uh, one of them attempted to to rescue the dog. <laughs> Unfortunately, it bit them. But, uh, you know, someone actually stayed with the dog. The other person went down and they got help and the dog wound up being rescued. But, I mean, two months, you know, it it was able to live in basically sub-zero temperatures in the mountains by itself. 
Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And now where is that dog? Well, the dog's been reunited um, with the owners because, uh, you know, the people who had worked in the park remembered having seen uh, lost, si- like lost dog signs, so they were able to contact with the person. But apparently it was like the first day I think they had had the dog, so it wasn't, you know, enough of, I guess, an established relationship where they were able to maintain control of the dog. So hopefully now that they'll have better luck with that. Oh, that is a great story. I'm still fixated on how giraffes sleep two hours a day. <laughs> Uh, did they sleep uh, standing up or laying down? And by the way, what about the elephants? Did the I think the elephants lay down. No, I think they wait. I think they I think they sleep standing up as well. Because boy, that'd be tough for an elephant to get up once it lays down. <laughs> I mean, and they always think, have little groups. Think of that. Think of that. If the elephant, right? The the mama and the papa elephant, the leaders of the herd, would have laid down. How the hell did they get back up? Yeah, that's, I think they sleep standing That's up. a lot of tonnage. Again, if there are experts, sleep experts uh, out there on how giraffes sleep and elephants sleep, please give us a call. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then I know, Nancy, you and I, we both watch, like so many of our listeners, that wild video that captured that deer running throughout that New Jersey elementary school. It was like, uh, you know, like when somebody breaks into a school, it's, except it wasn't a bunch of truant uh, kids, uh, juvenile delinquent kids. It was a deer. <laughs> what happened? Yeah, so th- yeah, this was in Tom's River, um, and an elementary school uh, was apparently broken into by a deer. Some guy was walking his dog one morning and saw a deer jumping into the school, so right away calls the cops, and, you know, so now the cops were able to go to the school, and it's actually, you know, it's kind of funny, they have body cam footage of these officers more or less trying to corral the deer, like chasing it down these hallways, and it keeps, you know, escaping into to classrooms. Uh, eventually, they were able to open these doors where the deer did escape, but <laughs> like I said, the body cam footage itself was pretty funny. It was just, you know, running through the hallways, uh, you know, I mean, again, it, I don't know how you corral a deer necessarily. You just maybe spook it out the open door. Did they uh, give the uh, giraffe eventually a JD card, a juvenile delinquent card for breaking into school? No, no, it got out. It, it escaped through the doors. Like, they were never able to actually physically handle um, the deer whatsoever, but they were able to, you know, sort of uh, shoo it down a hallway where the doors had been opened. So then it just kind of escaped in its own volition. This past week was the anniversary of the death of Natalie Wood on that, um, uh, on the, uh, uh, what can we call it, the cruise, call it the yacht. She was off Catalina Island with her husband, Robert Wagner, and psycho boy, Christopher Walken, the actor, and she drowned. But there's another story about Catalina Island that everybody in California knows, that they plan to save California's Catalina Island by shooting all the deer. I mean, every deer on the island. Yeah. So okay. So no. Apparently, uh, Catalina Island uh, has there's a conservancy that owns 88 percent of this like 75 square foot island. Well, and, not, not square foot. You mean uh, square mile island? Uh, square foot, yeah, square feet miles. I'm sorry, my bad. That's what I thought I meant. Yeah, <laughs> not square foot. That would be quite small. Um, but so they're basically the majority land owners, and their element of 
Conservancy really has more to do with um, the different plants and, you know, things that are growing as opposed to the animals. So they, they have a history, because they formed in 1972. They have a history of uh, trying to rid the island of what they consider, you know, different species that are invasive and eating all the plants. So a while back they killed 8,000 goats, um, 12,000 pigs, and, you know, they just, uh, anything that sort of uh, devours, they, they have bison that are still there, but apparently they're under control. So their plan is, be, you know, they don't have that many deer, but they're, you know, they don't think that the hunting is keeping the numbers in check. So they've come up with this plan to um, eliminate every single deer on the island. Now, obviously, people are getting upset about that because, you know, it's one thing to understand maybe potentially wildlife management, but you know, this seems like completely ridiculous. And what's even more ridiculous is what they're suggesting is that if they put a plan into place that involves, um, like, you know, more or less the spaying and neutering, um, you know, that sort of element, it could be successful, but it would take 15 years. So the the idea is, I mean, they've been in existence for 50 years. Um, they they do raise a lot of money um, with this conservancy. I mean, like 10 million a year, they have like 100 million assets. I mean, it's not something that you couldn't do if you wanted to, if you wanted to initiate that plan. That, that would be a great way to really set the model. This, and this idea of trying to eliminate animals in mass, first of all, it never works, and it's completely cruel because you leave any behind, they're just going to procreate. I mean, it's just a very, um, you know, horrible thing to do, especially for a conservancy. But again, their focus is on the plants and not the animals, and they have a history of, um, just eliminating all the animals in mass. So this is going on now, and you know apparently it's getting so much of a backlash that um, the CEO of this conservancy, for a bit of time, actually left the island because they were getting um, she was getting death threats. So I mean, it's not that it's you know you know it is being taken extremely seriously. So whether or not they're going to reconsider, I don't know. But that's their plan at this point. Well, you know, a lot of people view deer as uh, Agent Orange with hooves. They despise deer. But let's go right to the callers here. It's Bob in Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Bob. Yeah, you know, the giraffes are secondary to what? Where is Bo Zito? I can't believe this. What's the big secret? He's not. Man, where the hell did he come from? Like a giraffe. A giraffe. I guess so. <laughs> How are those connected? Okay. Let's go to Mario in Rockland. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Mario. Hey, Curtis Kaycox. How are you? Listen, I believe I heard one time that the giraffes sleep standing up because something about if they lay down, they would asphyxiate. They would just choke to death. Baba, how are they? How do they get proper rest? They only get two hours of sleep, as Nancy has mentioned, in a twenty-four hour day. They're tall, they're gangly. They got, yeah. I, I, Listen, I, uh, hold on, hold on. Oh, I, I want to tell you something about a dog sanctuary, also, please. But I, if, if if I had to guess, just like a horse, maybe maybe they again. This is nature. Maybe their their legs lock up so, so when they don't collapse when they do fall asleep. You know what I mean? There's got to be more to it. It's amazing. It's amazing how nature works. Listen, think about when a giraffe has a baby. That thing is about eight feet off the ground, and it just falls <laughs> out and lands on the floor. How does it not break its neck or 
or be crippled right from day one. You know what I mean? That's amazing how that happens. No, it is. They don't lay down. Their, they don't lay down to have their babies either. They just drop them. They fall out of the sky. <laughs> no doubt. Now, what did you want to say about the dog sanctuary, Mario? All right, listen, this is going to take a minute or two, but please give me the time. Number one, I've thought of this, but it's not an original idea. I, I got it from, I believe his name is Sam uh, Sam Simon or whatever, one of the original guys that developed uh, The Simpsons. Uh, he's dead now. He So he was super rich. I played a lot only to win enough money to do this by myself. If I can't, maybe you can mention it to your boss, John. And I'm not counting his wallet. If, if somebody with a ton of dough buys like about 100 acres or so, and again, this guy Sam Simon did it already, put a little animal hospital on there, enough room to take every stray dog that anybody wants to give and just leave them there for the rest of their lives. Hire vets. Again, you got to have a ton of money. you got to be a millionaire, and you can do this. Uh, you can hire, just give them a few shekels, senior citizens who've got nothing to do all day, looking for something to do. High school kids, they could come by and play with the dogs, pet them, just to let them live their life for the rest of their lives happy and free, never going to be euthanized. Uh, maybe well, no, somebody no, will come uh, Mario, Mario, that is a brilliant idea. And I actually was having a conversation earlier in the day with a guy who has raised horses in his life, uh, jumper horses, who wants to do something similar to that. Uh, I'm, we're going to explore that this week, Nancy, because that would be an ideal situation, a refuge for animals. So it's, they're not in shelters. Uh, there's a place where they can go. We discussed that. There are refuges now for elephants where they can herd together, horses. They have horse refuge uh, refuges uh, where they can go and they, they, they can frolic about and socialize. It's so incredibly important that animals be with animals, Nancy, and not uh, be in solitary confinement. Yeah, and, and also um, to all the points of how many um, different ways that people can interact with them, because there's so many people who need things to do, including like you have kids who are in schools, you have different um, neighborhood groups that you know work with anyone who's trying to do anything in the community. You have all of the you know, the people in the different um, nursing residences. I mean, all of these, you know, people are kind of looking to interact with animals. The only problem is it's hard to, to get them to you. So that would be great, you know, the closer you put them, and then people can visit, and then you, they can be transported. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a great way to interact with people. Yeah, well, we'll follow up uh, on that, especially as our program, the Animal Welfare Show, becomes uh, nationally syndicated uh, soon. Our number is one 800 Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media 
source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Wow, this is so perplexing. Think about it. Nancy has told all of us that a giraffe sleeps only two hours a day. We don't yet know how the giraffe sleeps. Do they plop down on the ground? Do they uh, stand up? You know, it's like a horse. Do they do they just lay down on the ground? And we're not sure the elephants either. Let's go. <laughs> let's go to Sal in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour, hour Sal. As usual, Curtis, you and Nancy, as usual, are a godsend. We have to bring an end to the horrible policy of ACAC. Uh, kill the last kill child. I also want to say, wish a happy birthday and a big hug to Margot Casamitidis and Mama, Mama Nona Piscopo is 99. God bless her. Now, I, know, I, I don't know if you guys saw on WPIX. An American veteran in a wheelchair, he wouldn't wait, give wait, up wait, his beautiful Wait, 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 Trying to get the answer to how giraffes and elephants sleep. And Sal is going to take us around the world in like 80 minutes and touch on everything else under the sun. Say, Hey, Sal, save it for another day. I'm trying to get an answer here. Maranamai. Let's go to Michelle in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michelle. Hey, Curtis. It's an honor. Love you. Love Nancy. Congratulations on your syndication. Um, You're welcome. Giraffes definitely sleep laying down, and so do elephants. Uh, Giraffes have to get up constantly and move for circulation. So that's why they don't stay down for long. But, yeah, and elephants will lay down just to hang out not necessarily sleep. Wow. So now, Michelle, a, yeah. gi- a giraffe, which is it looks v- like it's very difficult for it to move around and begin with, when it, it's laying down, that would make it very vulnerable to predators. I can't imagine that it could just snap right on up. Oh, it takes them a little while, but, yeah, they definitely do. And they, they sleep like, you know, how ducks turn their heads around? and, like, nuzzle their head and their back. Mm-hmm. They actually, like, curl up. It's kind of cute. Oh, I got to learn that. If I could if I could sleep only two hours a day, I'll do anything a giraffe does in order to do that, Michelle and Nancy. Curtis, I think you are part giraffe because you don't sleep much more than that. Oh, but I want to I wanna learn the tricks. I really do. Let's uh, go, if we can, to Warren, who's calling from Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Warren. Well, I'm not from Connecticut. I'm from upstate New York. I'm a retired state trooper, and I want to say that all the animal abuses, the judges and the courts need to take this more seriously about the abuses, because I've been on so many cases where people have neglected their cows, their horses, chickens, dogs, you name it. And basically the courts just slap them on the wrist and they, they go right back and do it all over again. And the animals suffer. 
and they, you know, they need to tighten the laws on animal abuse. Oh, there's no doubt. And Warren, just give us uh, a few of the cases uh, that you've come across of the kind of animal abuse uh, that's been presented in court that the court uh, refused uh, to deal with or just gave them a slap on the wrist. I went with animal control to a farm and there was uh, approximately a hundred cows, pigs, horses, every one of them, you could see the ribs. They were so badly neglected. And the farmer's excuse was because he had no money to buy him. The, he could only feed him hay. He couldn't feed him grain or anything else. And, and anyone that knows livestock knows that you've got to have a combination of both. And, uh, some of the horses had to be, you know, put down and the cows and the, the, the pigs. And uh, there's an uh, animal shelter uh, in Harpersville, New York, that took them all in. And uh, they tried to nurse as many as they can. And they found homes for them. And like three weeks later, you went by his house and he had two horses sitting in, in a corral again. Yeah, no, this, uh, Warren, this happens, uh, Nancy, we've seen this over and over, that they don't take seriously abuse of animals. In fact, what they had it in some state agency that you could barely find. I forget the name of that agency that was supposed to deal with animal abuse, and you can almost never find anybody to deal with anything of substance. Yeah, I mean, it, they have... Um like, you know, supposedly a little bit of a liaison animal welfare contact, but, I mean, it, because it's something that's, you know, under the uh, the NYPD at this point in terms of investigation, it's not really a high-priority thing. But beyond that, the laws don't treat the abuse uh, seriously. So, it, I, you know, you can kind of see why the people aren't getting arrested because you know that they're not going to get prosecuted. It won't mean anything. So, uh, I mean, yeah, to your point, un- until the laws actually take this seriously, this this is completely unacceptable. I mean, it, it's the, there's a problem of classifying them as property. It's not acknowledging that they are suffering. They have pain. They shouldn't be born into this. People are abusing them. I mean, if you saw someone doing this to a child, you wouldn't permit it. I don't understand why it should be viewed any differently. It's an innocent creature. So explain the law views an animal who is in your custody as what? Well, property. They're property. So, so, so which it, is why it, if, you know, someone were to, to steal them, uh, you know, the only compensation would be the cost of the animal as opposed to, you know, if you have a person, it would be, you know, loss of, um, you know, um, interest, loss of monetary. I mean, there'd be acknowledgement that there's a, an attachment there here. It's, a, it's just the cost of them. But beyond that, the, the crimes against animals... I mean, it's like pretty much almost max at misdemeanors, which means no one's even going to get anything that's a criminal record. So it's not taken seriously. It's not taken seriously. Well, we see, uh, as we've discussed with our friend Bob Holden in the New York City Council, Democrat from Middle Village, Glendale, uh, Maspeth, Queens, they don't have an animal welfare committee there. They don't have an animal welfare committee in a state that prides itself on all the uh, horse farms 
and the uh, the, the uh, dairies uh, that they have with cows and the other animals, especially upstate, who are in farm-like circumstances. They don't have an animal welfare committee in the state assembly, the state senate. You never hear the governor speak out about it. Attorney general, forget it. If the pig were named Trump or the horse were named Trump, she would immediately launch a full investigation. They do nothing. So they have all these elected officials and agencies and almost none of them care at all about the welfare of animals. None of them. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems to be like normal, um, can, you know, look at it like almost like constituent services. If there's no money to be made off of it and they can't wheel and deal, I mean, you're not going to make money off of doing something that's correct, but then that's your job to do. You're, you're cast with caring for animals. That's your responsibility, and you're dropping the ball. So you, and therein lies the problem. You're neglecting your obligation you're required to take care of them, and you're not doing so. Let's go to Tony in Florida. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Tony. Hi. Oh, Nancy, I love you so much. Thank you. You're so great. You're welcome. Um, I wanted to tell you, horses do not lay down and sleep because the weight when they lay down crosses their internal organs. So if you notice that you're driving along, you see a horse. They'll always be standing. Now, cows you'll see laying down, but not horses. So the horse, how how are they able to rest? In what position do they take in order to get a few? They, uh, they, stand, they stand on three legs and rest one leg at a time, and then they'll switch the leg. And, and they can doze and sleep like that, you know, standing up. Oh, God, and, uh, Tony, I, I'd love to be able to do that myself. Uh, <laughs> they're able to sleep while standing. Yeah. And they're yeah. not leaning on anything? No. This they'll is... have their head down and their eyes closed, and they'll have their right hoof off the ground or their left rear hoof or one of their, they, you know, they switch them back and forth so they can get some rest on that particular and oh, I wish I could do that. You know, I could go back and forth by balancing myself on one leg and then the other leg. If it <laughs> if it can mean I I can sleep less and do more, this would be great, Tony. Yeah, it would. I wish I could do it. That, but the only time you see them lay down is when they're giving birth. Oh, I see. So the foil, the foal uh, comes out. So yeah. uh, I see. That's what I was confused about. Because that so it's is not like the giraffes that come from the sky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and I want I wanted to tell you mention something else. That guy that had all those horses taken away, and then right away he had two more. Um, I used to be a cop, and and I worked a case where um, this man in the poor section of town had like a, a junkyard in his front yard, and he had two dogs tied up there. And uh, I got a call out there because one of the dogs appeared to be dead. And this was around 11-ish in the morning. And I got there, and sure enough, one of the dogs had been dead so long it had rigor mortis, which takes oh like 12 hours. Oh and the other dog had gotten so tangled in the metal there that it didn't have enough room to even sit down. Oh my so I took the one dog that had died for necropathy and the my dog I took to the shelter, and, of course, I arrested the man. I would have liked to arrest the whole family, but I could only arrest the owner. 
And the judge was so cool because he found him guilty in all the penalties, but he also put in there that this man could never, for the rest of his life, own any kind of animal till the day he died. And Perfect. I thought that was great. Perfect. Now, Tony, how do they enforce that? Uh, you know, you have a court order that says this person, this animal abuser, can never again own any kind of an animal. Uh, let's just say he moves out of that county where obviously uh, you arrested him. How can that be enforced? How would another law enforcement agency or anybody know that he's an animal abuser? Well, the area that he lived, the people there are poor. They don't tend to move. You know, he'd been there, his family had been there for generations. All the neighbors knew the outcome, you know, because of gossiping. So just like the neighbor called to let us know that the dog had died, if that man ever got another animal, they would be calling us. Love it. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. that's how you do it. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's a, Tony, that's a perfect example of you doing your job, treating the animal like a human being. Then, obviously, the judge deciding this person is not in any way, shape, or form ever going to be able to have an animal uh, within uh, within uh, his premises. And we don't right. we don't see that here. I tell you, we, we've dealt with animal abuse cases in New York City where nothing happens to the abuser. They end up with animals again, especially breeders who torture the animals. And oh, my God. They're just on a treadmill. And the criminal justice system acts like no significance whatsoever. Why are you bothering us with this? Well, I'll tell you, Florida is just the opposite. And the cases that worked and heard of, um, you know, it always depends on the judge you get. But we've got pretty good judges, at least in the county I live in. I live in Lake County. And um, the judges are pretty much on the ball down here and they don't take these lightly in fact i remember i was in the elevator with one of the judges and he was talking to somebody and he was upset because they were working a case where somebody had piranha you know which are illegal and they confiscated them but they worry about their evidence disappearing because the piranha kept eating each other <laughs> wow <laughs> that's great well thank you tony that's that that just makes you feel so much better you know, Florida does things so much better than us in so many ways, including protecting animals. Yeah, I mean, and look at how everyone in that situation can see it for what it is. It's just the one odd person out who's disrupting the whole thing. That's why you want to identify these people. They're not, you're not, they're not, um, you know, any pillars of society. And in fact, think about the person like, uh, like she was saying, has a family. So now you have people who are growing up seeing this level of abuse and then thinking it's normal. That's like the next generation of animal abusers. Let's go to Adam in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Adam? Hello. Hello, Curtis. Hello, um, Mrs. Sliwa. Um, Thank you. I want to ask you something that's really disturbing to me. Uh, I've been a resident of New York City for a long, long, long time, and I've noticed over the past year that a lot of wildlife, squirrels, and certain birds have, and stray cats have disappearing like crazy. I, I went to about 11 different parks and 11 different open, maybe, well, not 11, but about eight different open areas, large open lots. 
and I, I went there with my, my camera and other equipment, and it, they're gone. I would say, I would say, disappeared off the face of the earth. You had cat colonies out in the Bronx, where you had maybe, I think, 10 or 20 cats, 30 cats, nothing, gone. And I've, I've gone to the various parks, you know, uh, throughout the Bronx and Manhattan, even Central Park, and this amount of squirrels, it's it's down like 90-something percent over the past year and a half. What's going on, Curtis? Well, I tell you, uh, Adam, uh, our own owner-operator, John Katzmatidis, uh, lives close to Central Park. He has, he has a tradition of going into the park on the weekend when he's available with his daughter, AJ, and they feed the squirrels. And he, too, has come to the same conclusion. He goes, normally... In the past, I would have gone out, lots of squirrels. You, you could just sit on the bench and the squirrels were there. Now he has to walk a great distance in order to be able to find any amount of squirrels. So, Nancy, uh, since we live right by Central Park, we got to do a deep dive on that. So we have Adam in the Bronx is saying that. He's probably referring to uh, Van Cortland Park. Huge. Goes right into Westchester. Central Park, I've heard other people bring that to our attention, especially with squirrels, as to why there seems to be less and less squirrels in these uh, open areas. Well, and then also, I I mean, I find it very concerning about having um, entire cat colonies disappear because, I mean, the way that the cat colony is structured, obviously, they're staying in that location because they have uh, a constant feeder, a constant, uh, you know, food source, shelter. They're not going to just wander the neighborhood. And for them to disappear in mass would be, you know, that would, you know, that's probably more speaking to things, um, you know, and, and unfortunately that probably is happening a little more in conjunction with different landlords or different development type things because it's not really respected that people are taking care of these cats and the purpose that they serve. So I definitely am concerned about that um, in terms of the, the park wildlife yeah, we've been speaking about that too, and you know, and the clearly a lot of stuff that they put down on the the grounds in general. I mean, it's not the highest quality, and I just speak in terms of maybe like some of the city contracts. I know when they they put down like during the like the winters, all the the rock salt they put down is extremely. It's like the worst, cheapest kind, and it, it's actually so damaging to animals, and they throw it everywhere. So it's like I think there's probably an element of a consistent product that's being used in these areas that's having this type of negative effect on these animals. Well, let's let's spend a little time in exploring that in Central Park so that next week when we come back, we might have some answers, especially about the disappearance that many people have noticed, Nancy, of squirrels in the parks. But in the meantime, if people would like to get in touch with you, if they'd like to continue the conversation, how can they learn about more of what you do with animal welfare? Uh, well, you can go to guardianangels.org, the website, um, or you can also reach out to me on Twitter, Nancy Sliwa, ESQ. And just remember, this show soon will be syndicated across the nation because of the great work that Nancy is doing each and every day for animals in distress.